0: Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, as we read these five verses, we watch and see how the early believers ordered their lives. And one word really characterizes how they ordered their lives, and it is the word... Together, Verse 42, they devoted themselves with this corporate devotion. They did this devotion together, jointly. Verse 46, they're in homes together. And the obvious term that sticks out by the time you get to verse 46, and it's shown up together in verse 44, they believed were together. Verse 46, they attended the temple together repeatedly this word shows up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, follower of Jesus who lived in Germany, who Hitler killed right before the Third Reich uh, fell, he wrote a book about the importance of followers of Jesus being together and committed to each other and encouraging each other, and its English title is Life Together. And in it, he has this sentence, among others, the physical presence... Of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. End of quote. The physical presence, he argues. So here's the model. What is Christianity, Eric? It's a dynamic people movement experienced together in union with Christ and each other. Now, the second. Stone we want to put down here is the practice of New Testament Christianity is a simultaneous participation with Jesus Christ and with each other. The practice of New Testament Christianity is a simultaneous participation with Jesus Christ and with each other. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. He uses a term that we just saw in this passage, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. There's the word. Now, this is uh, an English word that represents a Greek word. And and all of us, we we know two or three Greek words. You know, agape, that's the word for love. Uh, Here is another one of those words that we've heard of before. Koinonia, fellowship and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That word, koinonia, shows up in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. He's he's calling them away from following idols, God's substitutes, and he uses what we share in Jesus Christ as our unique Lord in the experience of the Lord's table to call them away from idols, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ there's our word twice participation and it's a word for fellowship it's the koinonia word participation participation It's about a shared experience. It's about a fellowship that's centering and orbiting around Jesus Christ. One of the things I lament about COVID is how we now have to try to serve the Lord's table. I love it when we pass out the elements. There's something about taking that tray and handing it to the person next to us. There's a union a share it's like hey this is what we share in common jesus christ his death on our behalf yielding his body on the cross his resurrection his broken body his shed blood and and when we when we share that there's a sense in which even the passing of the elements uh it, it, it is an emblem of our shared experience and he uses the term participation. We are participating together in this glory of knowing Jesus. This is a dual and simultaneous participation with Jesus, but it's also with each other. And Paul is accenting that. Now, John accents the same point in First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. In his introduction, he says this, in verse 3, that, what, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, here's our word again, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Here, there's a sense in which, John fillets the concept of fellowship and lays it right there in front of us. What is fellowship? It's a share in what we have in common with Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Christ. The nexus that brings us together is not geography. It's more than that. And certainly we all live in the greater Cincinnati regional area, Ohio, Indiana, or Kentucky. Yes, we all live in this area, but that's not what brings us together. The nexus of what brings us together, around which we orbit, is what we share in common in Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Believe it or not, the affinity magnet that brings us together is not UK basketball. It's not other themes that are a locus to bring people together. It's Jesus Christ. I would not know you. We would not know each other. We would not be related like this if it wasn't for our common faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He who is who brings us together. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. What binds us together is our relatedness to Jesus. He's the center of our union. Practice of New Testament Christianity is simultaneously participation with Jesus Christ and with each other. Now the third stone I want to put down is in Hebrews 10, the passage read before us this morning by the Grinstead ladies. It's a common passage. It's familiar to our ears. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It's the classic, well-known passage. The central exhortation is, is let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10, 24. Notice the vocabulary in that cluster. It's together. It's one another. It's a stimulus on, a stirring on. Christianity is about others. Something happens when God's people gather together in person. When we get together... Something happens, and that something is very beautiful. It's called love and good works. It becomes a stimulus onto love and good works. What have we gone through now? Three rounds of stimulus checks, they're called. They're trying to stimulate the economy, trying to keep the economy up on the rails to stimulate it. Well, The author of the book of Hebrews is arguing when we come together, something happens, and it's a stimulus. It keeps up on the rails love and good works. Something happens when we get together. If you would argue, why are those people committed to resolve to continue in love? Why do they sustain a commitment to good works? Where did that come from? According to the author of the book of Hebrews, it comes from this Gathering together as a catalyst that the outgrowth of what happens is a stimulus onto love and good works. Now, here's the corollary in the absence of getting together, such stimulus does not come. Now, a habit had broken out in the book of Hebrews, as is the habit of some new habits. Now, habits can be good or habits can be bad. This new habit was not good. Do not forsake the assemblings of yourself together, and here's the phrase, as is the habit of some. Now, in their case, persecution and pressure beat against them, and so they began to wither away. It's why he will go on to say in his culminating chapter, in chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love Continue, stay at it, keep going. That's the message of the whole book. Habits are how we order our lives. Now here's the open secret. Everybody knows it. New habits have broken out during COVID. Some have asked our question, can we do without assembling with God's people? Some have answered the question, You know, we can do without assembling with God's people. Now, what is the answer to the question? Can we do without assembling with God's people? The answer is very clear from Scripture, and it's this. No, we cannot do without assembling with God's people. Christianity is a team sport, not a solo sport. It's not something you do by yourself. It's something you do with others. Growing up as a boy, I had no brothers. I had an older sister and a younger sister, and loved sports. And on Sundays, I I could only stand to watch a little bit of NFL football, and then I was just filled with zeal. And I had a little football, and it was about the size of my fist, and uh, I'd go out in the backyard and play football. I was the hiker. I was the quarterback. And I would narrate, and I would pitch to myself as a running back. And I would throw to myself as a wide receiver. And heroic defensive plays were announced as I was hit and then would fall in the backyard. Now, whatever that was, that was not football. That was lame. Because football is a team sport. It is the coordination of a group of people on a mission together to accomplish ends whatever that was, that was not a, D.L. Moody on a cold night in Chicago was next to a pot-belly stove in a gathering of people, and somebody recognized him. This is a preacher from about 140 years ago. And he's standing there, and the guy came up to him indignantly and said, hey, Moody, I'm a Christian, and I don't need to go to church. Moody didn't say anything. He was close to the poker in the front door on that pot belly stove, and he got the poker, and he opened the stove out, and he jammed it in the coals. And he flicked out an ember that fell right at their feet. He closed the door, and he put that poker down, and he just stared at the ember. And it was white hot. And then it got red. And then it got pink. And then it began to get gray as it gave off smoke. And it wasn't too long before that ember that moments ago was red hot in the bed of that pot belly stove was sitting there cold and indifferent on the floor. And Moody's interloker slithered away with no words being said. Moody was just an earthy guy, a common guy, and he said, well, that's the way I'll handle that. That was a good approach. Disengagement from gathering together is often a prelude to decoupling from following Christ. And and let's not sit here and pretend that nobody walks away and that this never happens. That's not true. Disengagement from gathering together is often a prelude to decoupling from following Christ. You say, Eric, where would you get that? Well, from watching the last 36 years of pastoral ministry. I want to give you the five reasons that I think are around the top of why people pull away from assembling with God's people. Top five reasons. Number one, they've been hurt, often by Christians, and can wrongly conclude nobody cares. Now, some of you have known each other for a long time. It's one of the glories of Calvary. It also means if you're brand spanking new, you don't know all the history that everybody else knows. And um, I hope you're still reaching for new folks who are visiting because new folks are still visiting with us. I took another picture this morning to show our staff at our staff meeting and asked them for the third time what their name was. You know, that that's probably why. That's... I should have put that down as, you know, they've told the pastor their name for six times. He can't remember it. So they just give up and go someplace else, you know, but thank you, Daryl. That was my best attempt. <laughs> Calvary loves its own. Everybody knows that Don and Nancy Helton are passing through some hard days. And it's a hard week for them this week. Nancy had surgery. She fell. Experienced a subdural hematoma. Hers required surgery, just to let pressure off. And I was with Don and Nancy this week and Donnie their son, who is such a great encouragement in this moment. And he sent me a text as the week was ending that said this What a blessing to receive the love of a church family. What a grace to be known and valued. You say, Eric, which churches go well it's churches that people attend that they have a very clear sense they are loved they are cared for they are noticed they are missed they are valued and they're part of the family secondly people begin to drop out because they're discouraged they may be facing what St. John of the Cross called the long dark night of the soul you say Eric that's right where I am You get discouraged. You get in a dark place. and You can begin to withdraw. People drop out when they begin to lose hope. That's what's going on in the book of Hebrews. They're facing economic deprivation. Some of them have been put in jail. Some of them have lost their jobs. Nobody's died yet. And he writes the letter and says, hang in there. Keep going. This is going to be worth it. This is going to end well. Persevere. Let's encourage each other. And all the while, Hebrews 10, a new habit breaks out. Some decided they were going to withdraw from the gathering. Third reason is uh, their family has walked away from Jesus. And in, in embarrassment and hurt, they just withdraw. They sought their dead level best to rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord get to adulthood and their children are not with them in the faith and they begin to get discouraged. They're embarrassed. Some of that is pride, but they just hurt and they say, ah, I I just don't want to face them and they begin to fade. The fourth reason is more simple and straightforward. They're taken in a fault. What's that, Eric? They're sinning they're captured by satan in a cul-de-sac that maybe nobody knows about and they're violating their conscience and the holiness of god and when they come to church they feel convicted and they they feel jesus invitation to repent and they don't like that and so it's easier to stay away from that Fifthly, some people have become more fascinated with other things than knowing and relating to Jesus. And so they just chase those fascinating things on the weekend. In in that sense, in a pop culture phrase, you could say they were uh, what is called born-again pagans. (laughs) They've been birthed back into a life that uh, is apart from the things of our Lord. Disengagement from gathering together is often a prelude to discoupling to a decoupling from following Christ. By the way, I hope you with me watch out for folks. Don't, are we not our brother's keeper? Remember that question? Don't give the answer. Little Cain gave. No, nah, you know, what's, that, what's my brother's life have to do with me? Of course, he was hiding his own sin. But, uh, am I my brother's keeper? You know what? Yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. And so are you, do you watch out for folks? I've watched some of you. I'm, I, I just am so pleased with you. You, as soon as the service is over, you ping for visitors, you ping for people you love, you gather prayer requests, you come on a mission on Sunday to be an encouragement and to pour grace on things, to love others. It's worth its weight in gold and how people relate. How should we live? Three charges to set our hearts aright. First, we need to live with a clear understanding and practice of authentic Christianity that includes both a vertical relationship and horizontal dimensions. I've told you before about my friend. His wife came in, and I felt so badly for her. She wept as she told me her sense of being an unloved wife, disrespected, dishonored in the home, and yet... They were there at church and all seemed well. And so I thought, man, I'm going to pursue her husband. I followed right after him, and we went to the local watering hole and got a Coke, and over a Coke we're talking. And I, I will never forget him leaning over the table with all earnestness with this gesture, I want you to know that me and God are fine. When all in my spirit I was crying out, Dude, if you and God are so fine, how comes you and your wife are so unfine because New Testament authentic Christianity has when we are related to God in a right way, it shapes how we relate to others, beginning with those closest to us. Now, uh, there's even a church in the Midwest that's made a big deal, and it's a great deal out of Uh, championing this notion of being a vertical church we're a vertical church we're a church that stresses the importance of relatedness to god who would not want to have that stress i mean when life is over the singular most important thing is knowing jesus christ As our Savior. When life is going on, the singular most important thing is knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. This vertical relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And God has provided the means for that to be through the death of Jesus to take care of our sin, which is the barrier that we have between us and God. The resurrection that gives us hope beyond death, beyond sin, our sins can be forgiven. Do you know Christ is your Savior? We're not a church worth our salt if we don't stop and say, do you have a vertical relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ? Has God brought you here this morning, May 2nd, 2021. We'd remember it together, first day of May. I got it straightened out, Eric. I was sitting in the pew. You talked about that. And I said, who's kidding whom? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in Christ came running after us and has provided the means to straighten this out. And we can just acknowledge our sin and receive Jesus Christ into our life and begin with him. As God brought you here this morning to begin. You say, Eric, I'll tell you what, I've done that in 1994. That's 1964. 1971. A oh, great But it has exceeding relevance in 2021 and how we relate not only to God vertically, but how we relate to others horizontally. That's authentic Christianity. And that's why the coming together to relate really is a big deal. Uh, Great churches sing two kind of songs. Oh, sure, they sing, my Jesus, I love thee. But they also sing, I'm glad to be a part of the family of God. These are my brothers and sisters whose burdens are mine. Now, I'm not a hero, and I'm a sinner, and I needed the grace of God, but I didn't sleep very well last night because someone I love had open-heart surgery last Tuesday, didn't get out of intensive care, and they intubated her yesterday, and she's not doing well. And her burdens are mine because I love her, and she loves me. I worked with her for 20 years, and uh, I care for her. And it's a great way to live, to care for other people. Because whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And that comes home in huge dividends. And there's nothing sweet in life like loving. And money doesn't matter, but relationships matter a great deal. And bearing each other's burdens and helping each other in this good way. Life is hard and it's broken. And the whole earth is groaning and travailing, waiting to be redeemed. And everybody who walked in here is fighting battles. And to have the privilege of... Strapping on a burden and lightening a load and encouraging one on. That's the glory of living. We need to know Christ, yes, but when we come to know Him, we get His family. You see, Eric, I, I, I grew up in a terrible family. Come into Christ's family. It's not a perfect family. In fact, I found it has all things weird, wonderful, and warts and glorious. And in finding that out I found out how proud I was and how much better I thought I was than other people and how God has humbled my heart and begun to teach me what it means to love other people right where they are and love them forward to where God wants them to be. Number 2, we need to remember that assembling together is something beautiful for God. That includes an extraordinary byproduct for us. This is the Hebrews 24 and 25. We come together for God. It's something beautiful for Him. It's not rugged American individualists who want everything for themselves. Oh, what'd you get out of that service? No, the great question to ask after worship is: what did God get out of that service? We come together for him. But when we come together, together for him, something happens to us. And the byproduct is we're stimulated onto love and good works. You couldn't be around the Laughlins and the Pieces and the other families and the single who left in 2010 without asking yourself, hey, wait a minute, they're all from us at Calvary and they're going to Ireland? They're willing to put it on the line and go to Ireland? Well, am I willing to go across the street? It became a stimulus for all of us to think about what, what are we doing? They're putting all their chips in and going to Ireland. What are we doing? Are we even talking to our neighbors? Are, do we go to the next work cubicle? Who are we serving? Who are we reaching for? Who are we praying for? You say, what happened? It was just a stimulus onto love and good works. Some who struggle with Parkinson's benefit along the way from a, surgical procedure called deep brain stimulation and it will amazingly tragically only temporarily turn the symptoms completely around in some cases in particular persons with particular kinds of Parkinson's and it's one thing before surgery and it's one thing after surgery and the tremors and the shakes are gone for a season and it's glorious you say what happened They had deep brain stimulation surgery. Well, in the same way, our gathering for worship is to be a deep heart stimulation on to love and good works. See, what happened to those people? I saw them coming out of the building. They beeline for that next person they could love. They beeline for that next good work. What happened to them? It was the catalyst of the coming together of the people of God. That's the byproduct. Finally, as the cultural tide rises against gospel Christianity, we need more assembly with God's people rather than less. Hebrews 10.25, don't neglect to meet together. A new habit broke out just right at the wrong time. At the time that they most needed to be together to stimulate each other to love and good works, a new habit broke out, as is the habit of some. They began to withdraw away from the assembly. The Arthur author argues, no, that's just the opposite of what needs to take place. Don't withdraw. As you see the day coming more and more, come together. We need that stimulus. Now, here's the deal. The day is drawing near, and we need the stimulus to help us forward. We need assembling with God's people. During COVID, I experienced a measure of chagrin. I experienced a measure of sadness. On the edges, I wondered if it was the emergence of righteous indignation, but I was not discerning just exactly what was going on, so I had to stop and take inventory of my feelings. Have you ever had to stop and take inventory of your feelings? But as I stopped and took an inventory of my feelings, I realized what was going on. I had observed new habits breaking out among the people of God in relation to the assembling of God's people. But this was actually more grievous to me because it wasn't people who didn't know the Lord. It was people who claimed that they did. What will be left of our resolve to Christ, and our commitment to his people when COVID is over. Are we all just play acting on Sundays? Or is this something real and tangible and dynamic and a God-ordained catalyst to keep us going forward in support of each other with all of our might? Now let's pray. Father, what are you saying to us this morning? Father, for anyone who is here this morning, who has not a vertical relationship with you, do in their heart in this moment right now what you did to Lydia when it was described. You opened her heart and she believed Lord, does it matter that we gather? Does it matter to you? Does it matter to us? How committed are we to each other? Our Lord has rugged American individualism crept into our hearts, and we care about me and mine and have forgot those pronouns, our and we, our and we. Lord, I pray with Augustine, demand what you will, but provide what you demand and make us to be an authentic place loving our Lord who loved us and gave himself for us and then loving each other. By this, so all men know you're my disciples. One of John's tests in 1 John, Lord, Lord, uh, love for the brother, and that's how you know a person is authentic. Forgive us for where we've fallen short. Forgive us for needs that have fallen through the cracks. Oh, God, move us to love one another and be a place that pulsates with the life of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sit.